I want to speak this morning on a topic I believe that has been pressing in my heart for a while. How we as Christians learn to become more desperately dependent on the Lord. And I know that desperation sometimes can be seen as a negative connotation. Sometimes desperation can be seen as a, as a last-ditch effort. can be seen as something that, is, uh, that dying people do that are desperate. But I, I see desperation today a little bit differently. I see desperation as a sense of urgency and a sense of passion that comes up when we see something good before us. And I see Christ as being good. Do you? Do you see Christ as being something worth an urgency over, of something to be desperate over? Yeah, I do. And so that's the way I'm looking at at, at this desperate um, dependency on God. An urgency that we just want to make Him our primary source of everything. And I think somehow the church, the American church, and obviously the people that that make it up, I think we've developed a distorted viewpoint on what it means to be dependent on Christ. See, I think for some of us, we we believe that, that the excitement level and the passion of Christianity and the passion of serving Jesus belongs to the new convert. Because I know I've seen it, and you probably have too, the one that is newly saved, how exuberant he is for Christ how excited he is for Jesus, how quickly he will share his faith with somebody new because he's been delivered from a life of sin. He's been delivered from a life of hopelessness. And all of a sudden he gets a sense of hope in him and he gets excited and he gets passionate and he wants to share it with other people. See, and then us older folks, us more mature Christians, we say to ourselves, well, just give him time. He'll mature He'll, he'll grow through that phase, and then he'll become like us. Oh, the poor man. See, that's the, that's the distorted view of growing up in Christ, is that they become like us, and we become more mature, and we don't need to have all that excitement anymore. And is that not is that biblical? Do you see that in Scripture anywhere? See, and, and I think that, that we see things differently because our society has taken church dumb and made it bore dumb. It's made it, we come in and now we're mature Christians and we come in and now we're pious and we're, pro- and, and we're, we're, we're proper and we can't get too happy in church. We have to have a sorrowful look on our face. We have to be pious before God because that's the way God is. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that, say, anywhere in Scripture that we come into Christ-likeness and we come human-likeness? Where does that happen? I don't see that. And now I've even heard some preaching in some churches that, that the reason that we don't need to be the, that we don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit that why the baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for today is because we've grown up through that. That, that the early church, the, when, when the day of Pentecost came in the early church, they were immature in their faith. 
And they needed to have the power of the Holy Spirit to give them a passion and urgency and a life-likeness of Christ. And, and so the early church needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but now we're enlightened and we're grown up in God, and, and we don't need that anymore. We've matured through the need of having the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where is that in Scripture? See, I, I want to go back and, and talk to us this morning about what are we thinking, and then where are we getting the information from? Where is it in Scripture? Where does it say this? If you can show me where it says it, I'll believe you. And I'll go right along with you because I want to read and I want to believe and I want to live what the Bible says, not what society thinks it should say. And I don't get it when people want to play things with God. I don't get it when people say, I don't need something that God has for me. I don't get it when they say, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, for example as a second experience, and they say, I don't need it. I don't get that. I don't see. Now, I know that when we are born again, we have the Holy Spirit living within us. I know that. Otherwise, I wouldn't come to Christ in the first place because it's the Spirit that draws me. So that when I say, yes, Jesus, and I accept you into my life, I know that the Holy Spirit is resident in my life. But the Bible also says that there is a second experience, not salvation experience. A salvation experience is, is, is over. It's done. You, you're saved. Now there's a second experience that says, I want to baptize you. I want to immerse you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, for those that say the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with my salvation experience and that there is no more to gain How prideful is that kind of a comment? How can I, as a mere human being, a mere created being, ever contain all there is to God? I don't care if I live to be a thousand years old and I'm the most spiritual man in the world. I will never contain God. I will never contain the power of the Holy Spirit. I can never say I've arrived. I don't need any more. But yet we have that sense of that in our heart all the time. And I know what I'm speaking of because I'm talking to myself. If there was one person in this room, it would be me that needs to hear this message. The fact of the matter is, if it's not in the Bible, we shouldn't believe it. If it's not in the Bible, we shouldn't live to it. And much of our tradition... Much of our positioning of who we are as a Christian church is not in the Bible. And I think that coming to a point where we are going to be desperate for Jesus and that we are going to not allow ourselves to be mature our way through this, I'll give you a little bit of proof that it's in the Bible that we don't mature ourselves through this, and it's in the life of Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 6. This is Paul speaking. Now understand, I love the book of Timothy because first and 2 Timothy because 2 Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's writing it to Timothy, his spiritual son, that he's mentored and matured, maturing through the faith. And Paul is writing to Timothy at the end of his life. This is the last letter that he writes before he's martyred, before he's died, before he's killed. 
And this is the tone that Paul is giving to Timothy. He says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul is talking about me. He's talking about you. It's not just for him. He's not saying I'm the only one. He says for anyone that fights the fight and, and finishes the race strong, there is a promise coming for all who have longed for his appearing. All right, and then he goes on. And then he goes on to his personal remarks. Do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Del Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls and especially the parchments. What Paul is saying here is, Tim, I'm dying. Tim, I'm at the last throes of my life here. But, you know, I'm not done. I'm not done. I want you to bring me my scrolls. Now, his scrolls are the written word. The scrolls are the Old Testament scriptures and things that he's been basing his life off. That, and now the parchments are the New Testament that he's writing. He says, bring me my tools because I have work to do in my last days. See, Paul is not retiring here. There is no biblical principle of retirement, either socially or spiritually. Think about it. Retirement has come into our society we talked about it, didn't we, Jason? Retirement came into our society by President Roosevelt. Prior to that time, we didn't retire. We didn't have a social security system. We worked till the day we died. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that you guys ought to get jobs. Don't get me wrong. Don't, just hear the message, okay? Hear the message is we, we, we stay productive through the dependency of Christ. And maybe it changes, though from the person handling the shovel to the person praying for the one handling the shovel. All right? Now, we do have a change. We do have that. Our bodies do wear out. And I'm not suggesting here that, that the senior citizens of our congregation all of a sudden think they've got one to do all the work. What I'm saying is the younger generation, it's time for us to pick it up and let the older generation be the ones praying for us. But none of us has the right to go back and sit on the couch and pull a blanket over us and put our head in the sand and say, I'm going to just sleep myself to death. And the whole point of this is not to bring condemnation. And I hope I'm not. The whole point of this is to bring encouragement that there is usefulness yet in the life of every believer. I don't care how old, I don't care how decrepit, I don't care how sick, I don't care if you're in Boulder Park or where you're at. Pray. There is no boundaries to prayer. And that is the most important thing we need is a good prayer warriors. We need prayer because our, spiritual, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual nature. And the only way we're going to win that is through prayer. So, so older person, senior citizen here with us today, we need your prayers more than ever. We, if this church is going to provide, or su, su, um, 
to move on, if it's going to progress, it's not going to be just because we get young people out working. It's because we have a church of prayers. We have a church that are, is willing to fast and pray and get on your face before the Lord and seek Him. That's dependency on Jesus. That's desperate dependency on Jesus. Now, last week we talked a little bit about, about wanting to be um, effective. And we all, all, we all like how to be effective. Nobody here wants to feel like you're useless. Nobody likes that feeling of, of, of not being effective. And, and how we get this is very important for us to understand because we are created in God's image. We can go back and read that in Genesis. We are created in the image of God. And with that godly creation, he has given us some basic elements that he instills in us that must be met must be met if we're going to be effectively fulfilled as an image of God. If we're going to be effective and then feel the fullness of that effectiveness, we must understand and accept godly cause and effect. Since God created and purposed us to do works pleasing to Him, the only way we are going to have a long-lasting feelings of effectiveness is when we are doing the things that are pleasing the Lord. We're going to have to learn to be desperately dependent on God if we're going to be effective. Desperately dependent. Now, now that means desperate and dependent. Those are two words that come together that seem kind of strange here. But they're desperately dependent, meaning that I am urgently wanting God to lead my life. Because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to go, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. When did God prepare the works? When? In advance. What does advance mean? Before. Before we were godly created beings, God created works for us to do and it's only as we do those works will we ever fulfill his role in our life and will we ever be feeling effective. It's when I make my own rules. It's when I do my own thing. It's when I think that God doesn't have the plan that fits my life and I've got a better way that I want to then break the rules. That's when I begin to feel ineffective. That's when I begin to get frustrated that's when I begin to do things on my own that are not accomplishing the works that God has prepared in advance for me to do. See, and I understand that because I'm just like every person in this room, and we probably all have done it. You've probably made up your own rules. Have you? Yeah? I've made up mine. And when I do that, when I, when I do life on my own, or, or when I make the, up the rules as I go, when I try to do that, I, I, I get frustrated, I get burned out, I get tired, I waste time. And I know it. I've tried that approach, and it doesn't work. And even though when I know it doesn't work, I'm still tempted to fall back in that approach because sometimes it's easier to do what I see rather than do what I know is right. Amen? Does anybody else feel that? Can it, is, it, is, is it ever easier to, to, to do the easy thing when you know it's not the right thing? Yeah. 
It is. I know it is. And that's when it comes to work. And that's when we have to know that we have to, to work and, and, and be diligent. We need to be desperately dependent for the Lord. Paul was desperately dependent. You know, um, Paul understood what it meant to suffer for the sake of Christ. And he understood what it meant to be desperately dependent on relying on Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 Verse 23, he says this through a few verses. He says, are they servants of Christ? He goes on and says, I'm out of my mind to talk like this. But I am more. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely. I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews from the Jews to 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and in danger from bandits and dangers. Here, this is even worse from my fellow Jews in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. <laughs> if that's not bad enough, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Paul understands what it is to be under turmoil. He understands what it is to be, to be burning with a desperate dependency on Christ. Through all that, through all that, he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, he says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. That is learning to be desperately dependent on Jesus. The American church needs to wake up. We need to wake up. We need to learn what it means to be desperately dependent on Jesus. Now, when is the time to do that? When is the time to do that? See, being desperately dependent on, God's, on God, first of all, means developing a relationship with God. How do we do that? Why do we need to have that relationship? I have a good example. I'm learning how to do that with, with Jason. Um, Jason's relatively new in our church, Jason and Brittany, and um, I'm developing a relationship with Jason. And how am I developing that relationship? I'm doing it because we meet on a regular basis for a cup of coffee or a bite of lunch, and we talk, and, and we get to know each other. And I'm getting to know him, he's getting to know me, and when I have that relationship with him, I then can go to him and say, Jason, I need some help. See, I, I, I can't ask help from someone that is just merely an acquaintance. If I just saw Jason across the room every once in a while and maybe waved at him, I would never feel comfortable to go to him and say, Jason, would you pray for me? Would you bear my burden with me? Can I share some of my life with you? Can you handle that? Because what I, w what I would do to that merely acquaintance person is that I would scare him away. In fact, I've told Jason that I am going to scare him away. And he's still here. 
So I haven't done a good enough job of scaring him yet. But I'm working on it. See, that's, that's the kind of relationship we need to have with Jesus. I don't develop that kind of desperate dependency on the Lord until I, number one, have that relationship with him. I can read about him in the Bible. I can hear about him. But until I actually have a relationship with him, how can I really pray to him? Think about it. How can I really go to him in my darkest hour if I haven't developed that desperate dependency on him when I didn't need to? in my lightest hour. See, we have to have relationship building processes first. And then comes the time when I'm really desperate, when I'm really low, when I really need to have somebody to, to lean on. Then I have the relationship. I'm comfortable enough to go before the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you now. I need you now. Now's the time. And he says, yeah, because I know you, Mike. Because we spent time together in the good times. Because we were there when you didn't need me and you were there before me then and you prayed then and you worshipped me then. Yeah, I'm here for you. I'm here for you now. You see, that's biblical. That is biblical because the Bible's conditions, the, 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 the biblical conditions of godly blessings are conditional on if you do this, I will do that. See, the Bible says that God loves everybody. He loves you, and, and he doesn't want anyone to perish. But the only way we get into that relationship with him of not perishing is when we become desperately dependent on him that he knows me and that I know him and that I've accepted him as my Savior. And now he says, now not only am I your Savior, but now I'm your father, and you're my son, or you're my daughter because of that relationship that you've experienced with me in the good times of your life. Now when the darkest times come, when the questions come that you don't know the answers to, when the unexpected illnesses come or the deaths or the losing the job or the financial pressures or whatever the, they are, I'm there for you. I'm there for you because you were there for me. And that's biblical. And there's nothing wrong with understanding that. And believing in that. See, it goes about, it's like the story I heard about a farmer that had a bad roof on his barn. And it goes like this. He said he had every intention to fix the roof, but he just never got around to it. When the weather was nice, he found that there were other things that needed to be done. So he kept putting off the inevitable roof fixing project. When the weather was questionable, he found every other excuse to do something different as well. And finally the day came when the rain came down in sheets and the wind howled. Of course the roof was never fixed, and now it was too late. The water flowed through the leaking roof in multiple places, and much loss was as a result. The moral to the story is this. If you wait until the storm comes to fix the roof, it's too late. The damage will be done. The consequences of your inaction will cost you more than what it would have if you would have proactively been prepared. You know, that's just not a spiritual lesson, but that is a physical lesson in life. My wife teaches me that all the time. She's much more prepared than I am in many cases. And it drives me crazy. <laughs> but she's so right in that. And, and so when we have a tendency to put off today, when we procrastinate you know, you know what the consequences of that are? Is uh, not good. 
Not good. And in our spiritual life, the same way. If I keep putting off developing that desperate dependency on Christ because things are going okay today, because I have enough money in my checking account, because I don't have any problems in my family, because I got a good job. See, I look at that and thinking, oh, God is blessing me. I, I see God's blessing in my life. Do you understand that the devil has the ability to bring good or bad things? Yeah. He can allow things to happen to you that would be good if, he, if, it, if it meets his strategy to destroy you. His strategy never is ultimately to bring you anything good. His strategy is always to destroy. But if he sees a sleeping Christian that is thinking that their blessing is coming from the Lord because they, have, they don't need anything, he will let you sleep. He will let you enjoy life. He will let you go that way all the way to your death. Or he'll let you go to that point, to the point where you become desperate and now you don't know where to turn to God and now you give up and, boy, look at the rate of suicide. Look at the people that have just gotten to the point of utter despair because when life was good, they weren't learning what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus so that they could go to him desperately when they needed him to be there. So how do we do that this morning? How do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves to become desperately dependent when we don't have to be? <laughs> when we don't need to be? And this is not the politically correct message to speak this morning because people would rather have us just continue to speak prosperity and goodness and how good it is to be a Christian and just live happy. But, you know, that's not truth and that's not reality in so many lives. And I feel bad for those people that will, that will flock to hear that because when the other day when the day comes when they really need Jesus and they haven't developed a relationship with him they won't know where to turn so how do we develop that desperately dependent relationship with Christ well we do that this morning through multiple ways how do you let me ask you some questions how how do you prepare yourself to come into praise and worship settings either on a Sunday morning like this or I'm assuming that you have something in your private time how do you prepare yourself? How, how, do you, how do you make it urgently important that you spend time worshiping the Lord? See, and I know how easy it is not to do that because it wasn't long ago where I was sitting in your seat and I had a job and I was living in the world doing my work, being a Christian, but I was caught in a trap of being so comfortable that I didn't need to develop some of that relationship. All right? Now I'm in a different season of my life. I'm a pastor today, and I feel a lot more pressure today than I ever thought. I thought pastoring was easy, Rip. I thought, man, Rip's got it easy over there. I'm over there working next door, and Rip's over there reading the book. <laughs> I had no idea what you were going through, brother. You want to trade? And, and, I, and I look at that, and I, and, and, but here's the question, and here's the deal. I know some people have said, yeah, but Mike, you're paid to pray. You're, you're, that's your job, okay? But, but let me ask you this question, guys, and I, and I mean this in a real, real loving sense. There's going to come a day where we all stand before Jesus. And if you say that word, if you say that I didn't pay, pray as much as my pastor because he was paid to pray, what do you think God's going to say to you? Seriously, 
do you think, so do you, do you think that, that, that because a man is paid to pray, that he needs to pray more than you? Come on. I mean, this is what it's about living a Christian life. And this isn't about bringing condemnation and bringing guilt on people, even though I know that's what the enemy's doing, because that's what he's telling me right now. He's saying, back off, back off, because you're bringing guilt, you're bringing condemnation, and you're just beating your people up. But I'm telling you guys in a sense of love and compassion that if you want to stand before the Lord someday and be fully blessed by him, don't make excuses today. Don't give yourself a bye today thinking that it's going to be okay tomorrow. Some of us, myself included, may admit that, and if we're honest with ourselves, that the thing that keeps me from developing a relationship with Jesus, I mean a real personal praise and worship relationship with Christ, are my feelings. My feelings. There are times that I just don't feel like it. I'll be honest. There are times that I just don't feel like it. But as soon as I give in to those feelings, I've just given the devil a foothold in my life because now he's knowing that if, I, if he can convince me to make my feelings over my knowing what I should do decisions, then he wins. All I've got to see, let me just give you a real crass example, real carnal example. If I don't feel like going to church on Sunday morning because I'm tired, and if I don't get out of bed in the morning because I'm tired, and if I give in to it once or twice or three times, all of a sudden the devil's got a routine. All he's got to do is just make him tired. Give Give him an excuse. Maybe not just Sunday morning. Maybe it's getting up a little bit early to pray. Or maybe it's staying up a little bit later to pray. Or maybe it's turning the TV off. Maybe it's picking up the Bible instead of picking up the newspaper. I don't, care what, I don't care what it is, but if the devil can get us to think our feelings are more important than what, is, what the Bible says, he's developing a foothold in our life that will be used against you. And every, and every time you give in to that feeling, you're just making it stronger for the devil and weaker for yourself. You're, you're feeding the flesh man and you're starving the spirit man. And the man you feed ultimately is the man that wins. You know, if you had two boxers in a ring, and if you fed one boxer and gave him a really good diet, and the other boxer, you didn't give him a diet at all, who's going to win that fight? That's exactly what we're doing to our physical man and our spiritual man when I don't feed him spiritually daily. When I don't feed him in the Word of God daily, when I'm not praying daily, and I'm not talking to maybe half an hour, I don't know what your time frame is, but you need to be eating daily spiritually or your flesh man is going to overtake your spirit man, and you will, not, you will not have a spirit life. You may come to church. You may sit in this church weekly. But if you don't have a spiritual life, you're just filling a pew. Where do these feelings of apathy come from? Where do these feelings come from? Well, can I tell you where they don't come from? They don't come from God. All right? The feeling of, I don't feel like it, does not come from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not give you a I don't feel like it attitude. So if you're battling an I don't feel like it attitude, who are you listening to? Where's that coming from? It's coming from two places. It's coming from the flesh and it's coming from the enemy. I'm not over spiritualizing it because our flesh man is lazy. Our flesh man does not have a heart for the Lord. 
And the devil certainly doesn't have a heart for the Lord. So you're either feeling that from your flesh or you're feeling it from the devil, but you're not feeling it from the Holy Spirit. So when I have that feeling cometh in me, what am I better what am I better off to do? I'm better off to recognize that and to say, Okay, flesh man, I put you down today. I put you down today, and spirit man, I lift you up. And so what you do is you take baby steps. Get your Bible. Maybe just read a couple verses. Maybe pray a little bit. Okay, and say, Okay, all right, that was good. That's good. Pick it up tomorrow, do it again. Do it again the next day. Do it again the next day. And soon you may be reading a little bit more, a little bit longer. Get a good devotional. Soon you just might find yourself developing a habit of prayer. A habit of Bible reading. Habits are nice because habits allow you to do something when you don't feel like it. Habits are so powerful. Habits are so invasive in a life, good or bad. So pick a good habit. You can have good habits. And people can say, well, then it just becomes a ritual. So what? It's a good habit. It, it, can, it be, can you read the Bible too much? Can you, can you pray too much? Even if you don't feel like it, you say, well, I don't really feel like reading the Bible. So now if I do it, I'm just giving it into a habit. So what? That's a good habit. Because if you keep reading the Word, you know what? Something's going to come. If you keep praying, do you know what's going to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to rest on you. Do you know what? There's going to be a revelation that's going to come out of your life. Why? Because you developed a good habit, whether you felt like it or not. And let's, not, let's move away from our feelings. Let's move away from, from the, the, that I have to feel something before I do something. You know, Jesus was not at all opposed to creating strife. He, he was not opposed to coming uh, into a person's life and to upsetting the apple cart of people. Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 through 39 tells us a very uh, disrupting passage, an uncomfortable passage. It, Jesus is saying this. He says, if you tell others that you belong to me, I will tell my Father in heaven that you are my fathers, followers. But if you reject me, I will tell my Father in heaven that you don't belong to me. Don't think that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came to bring trouble, not peace. I came to turn sons against their fathers, daughters against their mothers, and daughters-in-law against their mothers-in-law. That's easy. (laughs) Your worst enemies will be in your own family. If you love your father or mother or even your sons and daughters more than me, you are not fit to be my disciples. And unless you are willing to take up your cross and come with me, you are not fit to be my disciples. If you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you give it up for me, you will surely find it. Now, if we take that passage of Scripture out of context, this will blow a lot of people out of their theology. This will say, that's not Jesus. Jesus is a loving Jesus. God loves people. But when we see what Jesus is really saying here, what Christ is really talking to his disciples about is that I require an undivided allegiance without exception from you. Nothing less. Where in the Bible can you tell me anything less than that? Where can you show me that the Bible says Jesus wants half effort? Where can, you, where can you read in the Bible that he wants half of my time? 
Where can you read anywhere that Christ doesn't say, I want all of you because I was willing to give all of me? See, Jesus asked for unqualified allegiance with the central point here is that our love for him and for God and his kingdom must take precedence over every other human relationship or human passion. Does that sound like desperate dependence on Christ? Does that sound like being desperate? Can you see where the Bible, where I, can, where I can come up with this message out of biblical structure saying that we need to be desperately dependent on Christ? There's a commentary that goes on that says that a disciple must deny himself or die to self-will. Take up his cross, meaning to embrace God's will, no matter the cost, and follow Christ. Is this desperate dependence? Wow. Something this serious must have a huge payout. If Christ is expecting so much out of me, he must have something in store for me, right? I would hope so. And you know what he does have for us? Eternal life. Eternal life. Eternal life. Can we grasp that? Can you grasp the significance of heavenly, eternal life? See, we talked a little bit about it in the Sunday school today because we finished up the last fundamental belief of our 16 doctrines, and it is a new heaven and a new earth. And when I can get my mind wrapped around what heaven's about, when I can get my mind wrapped around what it's going to be like a million years from now, a million years from now, how about a trillion years from now? How about 15 trillion years, which is what our national debt is right now, by the way, $15 trillion. Imagine 15 trillion years from now. I have eternal life versus eternal death, eternal punishment. See, unpopular words today. Unpopular to think that we're going to have people that are going to be suffering in hell for 15 trillion years and 30 trillion years. See, if I can grasp heaven, if I can grasp what it means to be in Jesus' presence for billions, trillions, eons, it makes my temporary struggles worthless. It makes it like Paul said, I can handle my momentary and, and my, my light and momentary troubles will be all worth it in the end. Because he learned to develop a desperate dependency on Christ. I wish, I wish that the mega churches that were preaching to thousands of people today were given this message. You see, we find ourselves comparing ourselves to other people and we say well they don't need to do this mike those people they they don't need to live that way that pastor's not preaching like this well how do you know they don't need to live this way i mean aren't we taking a pretty big gamble when we do that i i would challenge every person whether they're in a mega church or a small church 
every pastor, whether you're a beginning pastor or you're Billy Graham, to go back and judge your preaching to the Word of God. And if you're not preaching what the Word of God says, if you're not preaching with a passion and an understanding that every person that you're speaking to is going to, is, is going to be judged, and you're going to be judging every word you speak to people, because if you're not preaching dependency on Christ as the only way to be heavenly, I wish, I wish we could get that in our minds. I wish we could get that in our brains. I wish we could get that in our hearts and our souls. I wish we could fight the battle that's upon this church, the spiritual warfare that's around us. I wish we could stop comparing ourselves to other people and say, I don't need to be that serious. I don't need to be that fanatical. I don't need to be that, 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 that serious about this because they're not, and look at their life. Look how prosperous they are. Look how happy they are. Well, there's two things you don't know. First of all, that person may be desperate dependently on Christ and you don't know it. That person really may be living a life that you don't know about because you don't know their prayer life. So maybe that person really is living for Jesus. Or maybe not. So here's the deal, guys. We don't grade on a curve. God is not going to come down at the end of the day and look at all the different churches and through all the different history and say, okay, I'm going to say, what did you preach? What did you preach? What did you teach? What did you believe? Now I'm going to take the curve. I'm going to take the average there, and I'm going to make the passing grade based upon the average of what you preached. And those that preach a little bit better are going to get a little bit better, and those that preach a little bit worse, well, you might get a C. Or you might pass. No, see, it's a pass-fail with him. It's not a letter grade. It's a pass-fail. And, and, and what he's judging on is the Word of God. It's right here. It's right there. It's not about what's in here. See, these are my notes. <laughs> it's not based on my notes. It's based on the Word of God. And so when God goes back and he judges things, he's not judging upon, well, what did Pastor so-and-so say? He's judging on, did you live up to my Word of God? Did you live up to my standards? F.B. Meyer says this, and I'll close with this, and we'll have communion. It's, uh, and then we'll praise and worship a little bit more. But, but F. E. Meyer writes this and his thoughts regarding what Jesus and how he, Jesus challenged his disciples when it comes to being desperately dependent, dependent on him. And he bases it on this scripture, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And this is what F.B. Meyer says. It is a beautiful privilege to work along with Christ. But we shall not serve in that blessed apprenticeship long without learning this lesson. He has no pleasure in service rendered to himself or others that does not cost us blood. This is characteristic to his own service to the world. And you, will soon, and you will find that he will soon drop you out unless you are prepared in your measure to surrender yourself to the bloodletting, which alone counts in the service of humanity. As we look out on society today, we can understand why so many lives are, are, are unhappy. 
or unfulfilled or not effective. They have never learned that the secret of happiness or effectiveness is to give to the point of self-denial and self-sacrifice. As Philip Brooks puts it, they need something to happen which shall force them out on the open ocean of complete self-sacrifice. If only a slow, quiet tide or a a furious storm would come and break every rope that binds them to the wooden wharves of their own interests and carry them out to sea. The soul that trifles and toys with self-sacrifice can achieve neither its true joy nor power. Only the soul that gives itself up forever to the life of others can know the delight and the peace which surrender gives. That, in my estimation, is a great, long definition of what it means to be desperately dependent on Christ. You know, and I, and I, and I know this sounds like a hard thing to do. But let me tell you what we can do. Start one step at a time. Start one step at a time. Just begin to do today. And begin to decide to do tomorrow. And the next day. And the next day. One simple thing. And that is to read the Bible. And to pray. And then let the Lord lead from there. I'm not giving you the rules. I'm not giving you the expectations. You can't live up to mine. I can't live up to mine. I'm just asking you to live up to what Christ is asking you to do, one step at a time.